0: Are you a fan of Needlepoint, Spencerian Flex, or your basic factory line fine? Whatever your way your tastes run, hey, it's okay, we don't judge. You're in good company here. Hello, gentle folks, and welcome to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania, where we discuss in depth things like pen, ink, and paper. I'm Dan Dye, producer-in-chief, filling in for our moderator, Chuck. Our topic this episode is pen customization. To tackle this topic today, I'm delighted to have with us over Skype a very special guest host from the U.S. He's a 23-year-old fountain pen enthusiast from Chicago who recently began creating experimental fountain pen nibs under the name Regalia Writing Labs. Regalia? Regalia? I'm sorry. Regalia. (laughs) Regalia. Regalia Writing Labs. He's a collector of rare and limited inks, he has an obsession for unique and interesting nibs, and he's also one of the hosts on the BYOB Pen Club podcast. You'll probably already know him from Instagram, where he is at Reaching Ralph. Hello, Ralph. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey,
2: honored to be here.
0: Also rounding up the panel is the podcast's own resident nibmeister, our returning regular host, the double Bold Tav. How are you, Tav?
2: Oh, wow. I'm, I'm a nibmeister. I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. I'm, I'm yes. fantastic today, actually. I'm, re- I'm really great. That's uh, um... Great weather here. I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it.
0: It is it is great weather in Sydney today. How is it for you, yeah. Ralph?
1: Miserably cold. Miserably, miserably cold. I was afraid you but That's that. okay.
2: Yeah. As is as, as more, Chicago. Yeah. You can always put lay- more layers of clothes on. The problem with Australia, there's only so many you can take off, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah.
0: First up, guys, um, what are we all riding with? Ralph, why don't you go first?
1: Well, uh, today in the the spirits of today's episode, I'm writing with a a custom pen by the Red Dragon Pen Company. Um, he goes by uh, Chewy Chewbacca on Instagram, and it's fitted um, with a uh, nib worked on. It, it's a uh, a Richard Binder two degree lefto beak uh, professional italic that I got custom done at the DC Pen Show earlier this year. Yeah, it's uh, a yeah, it's it's on a and it's on a stock
2: Yobo nib.
0: Guys, it's not even it's not even two minutes into this podcast, and already you're dropping names that I've never heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: You've got a Richard Binder nib now. That that that's. I don't know if it's possible to have a Grail grind, but uh, a Richard <laughs> Binder, you know, italic or something like that is is one of my goals to attain one day. It's just such a pity he doesn't do much work anymore.
1: Yes, yes, uh, I definitely was. Uh, yeah, quite thrilled to be sitting in front of him. It really was a dream come true for sure. Mm. Yeah, and likely one of the last last opportunities I would have.
0: Is not doing shows yeah. anymore.
1: Oh, he's still doing shows, but uh, it's not um, set in stone when he would uh, stop doing that. He's know.
2: retired, He's, you know.
1: Yeah, at any point he could decide to, to stop uh, doing this work at shows, so...
0: Tav, what are you writing with?
2: I'm currently writing with a... Um, with well, actually, two pens. A custom Ebonite pens from the Lotus Pen Company in India. Um, they both have stocky, ovo, broad steel nibs. Um, one's called the... I don't think I'm pronouncing it right, but the Shikar. It's this gorgeous blue um, Japanese Ebonite thing that looks it's quite huge actually it looks like the ebonite sailor king of pen so it's quite similar in shape um, and in size it's a big chunky pen but very comfortable and i'm also using it's they kind of come in a duo There's there's another one that's a bit of a clone of the duo fold but huge and made out of this this orange this burnt orange ebonite both of them have broad nibs that i'm loving uh, to use at the job because they've got this this lovely smell of ebonite about them this freshly turned ebonite smell that's just captivating i know it's it's an acquired taste but i really like it
0: (laughs) they both sound amazing you're gonna have to take photos of all your pens so because i I, i'm having trouble picturing them in my mind
2: i'm gonna have to i haven't had a chance to take photos of them yet because i've been obsessing over this new ink that i got from korea but I will, um, I'll definitely be uploading them to the Fountain Pens Oceania Facebook page in due course with a lovely rant about how awesome they are.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I, I have a boring old DuPont Olympio Vertigo. I'll tell you a story. I was preparing to um, show off my new sailor, King of Pen, Urushi. No, not Urushi, the ebonite version with a Nagahara King Eagle nib um oh. for this recording Ooh. but it's still stuck in global shipping um uh. hopefully to arrive next week. We're recording this on February 3rd. So sad face. But That'd I do have indeed. I do have a wonderful stub nib on this extra large um DuPont Olympio. It's been tuned by Tav because it had a little bit of a baby's bottom to begin with, but now it writes Wonderful! yeah i
2: love it yeah well hang on hang on hang on a second the uh, duponts are not boring can i just say especially one of the that's a pen and a half that is that is always the envy of everyone that sees it
0: it's a pen and a half and a half but um i think in an episode about (laughs) customized pens where you guys are all you know spouting these names of small makers i've never heard of before i feel a little bit left out (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, look, look. I mean, it's kind of custom. It's been tweaked, I suppose.
0: Tweaked, yeah, tweaked by a loving hand.
2: Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> um, before we get into the topic, let's just get some housekeeping out of the way. Um, I have a email from Catherine, and I thought I'd read it because it it mentions the US market a little bit, and I thought that'd be good to discuss with Ralph on the show. So I'm just going to read this email from Catherine. She says, Dear FPO Podcasters, Ace Podcast, thank you. I'm really enjoying it. But why not weekly? Why not a full hour? More and more. You Aussies are tough you your adoring audiences. Two questions I'd like to ask after episode 12. Let's see. that. I think that was our episode on um, marketing and branding. First, a technical point. Could you give everyone a microphone for your podcasts or let everyone sit near a mic? The sound variation is very noticeable and I can't hear the distant persons without scrolling back and thracking the volume up full notch. Probably this request isn't as easy as I think it is, but I'd love to hear you all equally easy. Second, much more interestingly, about pens, Japanese pens. I was pretty surprised to hear the comment that the US doesn't know much about Japanese pens. I'm guessing this is based on more than just the listener comment that was read out and I was curious to know where this impression stemmed from. From my perspective, no, not an offended American, just an expat Brit working in the U.S. Pretty much everything I know about Japanese pens I have learned in the States. My pilots, Namikis, Platinum, Sailors and Nakayas have almost all come from friendly and committed U.S. pen enablers. Jet Pens, Brian Goulet, Dan Smith, Goldspot, Classic Pens, Andersons, etc. Japan seems well served here to me, which suggests a healthy custom base. But I can't compare with the treasures you might have access to. Maybe Australia has a wider range of Japanese streets and options in the States. Maybe you have a more educated fountain pen public. That may be the case, and I envy you if so. But in any case, keep up the great work. The nib section is a highlight I look forward to. All the best. Catherine. So this sort of touches on a few things that I also saw as feedback on the Panaddict Slack, which I, I do follow every once in a while. And it's this relative um, knowledge, lack of knowledge, um, access, lack of access. From your perspective, Ralph, I know you've traveled a bit in Asia as well, um, Southeast mm-hmm. Asia at least.
1: Yes. Uh, I
0: do you think the the presence of the Japanese brands like Pilot, Sailor, Platinum, do you see more of them in throughout Asia or um in the US?
1: Um I, I would say that most Japanese pens are readily available here in the US, but a lot of the more specialty Japanese fountain pens uh, typically stay within uh, the Asian market. This could be attributed to a number of reasons, uh, you know, whether it be as simple as uh, just distribution, or if uh, the uh, the more interesting pens, you know, quote unquote, like the ones that come to mind are the Sailor Specialty nibs, perhaps have more uh, are, are more marketable. Uh, within countries that use uh, languages that you know that use characters rather than uh, alphabets uh, or, or Western alphabets, if that makes sense, uh, so I, I would imagine that you know um, that for a person living in China or Japan or Korea, where uh, they use logographic languages, so marketing something like a sailor king eagle, for example, um, would probably be a lot easier there, or at least uh, more more useful to them, uh, and more. Uh, more desirable in some cases, because it provides uh, those people with uh, more utility uh, than it would a Western writer. So that, that can be uh, a reason as well. But I, yeah, to, to answer the question, I, I would say that um, getting Japanese pens here in the States is it's fairly easy. Uh, they're readily available at, uh, at most major pen stores.
0: Tav, you've worked for a few years in the industry in Australia. Do you think that our local market is dominated more so by European pens or um, Japanese pens? Because Australia itself doesn't actually produce much in terms of pens. We, we do have a few ink brands, but they're not um, widely available.
2: Oh, it's definitely dominated by European brands, 100%. There's, there's oh, a small still? market. Yeah, there's a small market for Japanese pens, definitely. But uh, the shops that sell Asian pens are far fewer than than the the shops that sell European brands. And the the simple fact of that is that the European brands are better known in Australia. you have got Pelican, Caran d'Ache, Parker, which is French, so technically European. Lamy. But even though some of of their pens are made in in, in China. So, yeah, and Lamy. Yeah, Lamy is very big here online. um, A lot of German companies. And, of course, Ubiquitous Montblanc, DuPont, they're all European brands. And then you've got... a I mean even just numerically there are more European brands in existence than there are Japanese. Japan's only one country whereas Europe is a huge continent filled with all these different companies. So you, so of course naturally you're going to have more European brands and the Australian market does reflect reflect that. So you know for every one Japanese pen that's sold it's hard to take make make an estimate but maybe I don't know four European pens are sold at, at least maybe more.
0: I think I know it's a bit unfair to um, bring you into this discussion tab because you weren't in episode 12, which is where um, this perception that maybe the US market isn't as exposed to the Japanese brands as um, we give the impression that Australia is. But I think a a couple of things might have contributed to that perception. First, the podcast, I have to say, is recorded in Sydney. And maybe our podcast is not entirely representative of um, people who use fountain pens in Sydney. But Sydney is quite internationalized. It has a very large Asian immigrant population who I think have more direct access to Japanese brands than um necessarily some European brands. That's one thing. The other thing is that I think comparatively in the US, when you buy things online, I think American buyers might be also having access to brands that are local to the US that Australians don't have access to. Mm-hmm. So I would agree with that. Yeah, so a lot of like the small, very niche pen makers that you mention quite often, they don't come into the Australian market at all. And mm. um, the ink brands like um, KWZ, that I know that isn't American, but what are the other, um, the local American, the small ones like organic studios, those ones, they, they don't come into Australia unless we import them. So mm. Australia, we are really quite limited to Europe and Japan for our imports. And as Tab said, Europe is a very large um, proportion of those imports, but I think Japan Japanese pens are growing in their presence. I think they're putting more effort into it, and um, mm-hmm. more things are definitely available here now. Just in the last couple of years, um, pilots have shown a lot of a lot more of their pens in stores than even just two years ago, and I think they're doing the same thing in the U.S. But because in Australia, we're so starved for new content, because we don't produce very much local products. Um, I think that has a bigger impression on our market than it might have in the US. That's that's just my personal perception. And of course, well, actually, the disclaimer. Yeah.
2: I, I, I think I, if I've been privy to episode 12, I probably would have disagreed because I think the American pen community is very much you know, educated and into Japanese fountain pens. I see a lot of online chatter about it i see mm-hmm. a lot of them getting a lot of attention like especially pilot platinum uh, sailor is not quite as well known i suppose but even so i think it's because platinums are slightly more like they're slightly bigger a little bit more affordable and then you've got pilot i mean people love pilot that i've seen are, are, you know things like the the, the um what is it, the 823, I think it is,
1: mm-hmm. the, the one with the
2: vacuum filling system. That's that's very, very popular I've seen in the States. Yeah, I, I think it's probably about the, the American market. probably just as familiar with Japanese pens, uh, if not more, than the Australian. Uh, I know that they've got more, more, more manufacturers that, that are exclusively American and therefore have to only be imported into Australia rather than just shipped across the country, but there are more fountain pen users. So it it might proportionally be that, yes, there are more manufacturers in the United States than Australia, but there are also more pen users per person. Yeah,
0: that's definitely true.
2: Probably yeah. like 10 times more people in the states that use fountain pens than there are in australia you know per, per capita
1: I, I definitely would agree with that we are um well aware of most japanese brands and japanese pen makers are do have really good exposure over here i, I would disagree on on your comment on sailor pens like sailor pens I, I would say are just as popular as uh platinum and pilot pens over here and uh continue to increase in, in popularity and uh I, I would say that this is uh in part uh, i've contributed to um kind of like Not necessarily a shift in people's preferences, but rather as it being the information about what Japanese pens can offer in terms of writing experience is becoming uh, more readily available. And, you know, the the word spreading, you just can't get, like, the same writing experience that you can with, uh, with, like, a Japanese fine, extra fine that you can a lot of Western brands, um, which is why a lot of uh, Americans are gravitating, not gravitating, Mm -hmm. rather, but, uh, you know, gaining a a larger interest in um, Eastern pens in general.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And I'm glad um, I have both of you here to balance out opinions in the other episode. So, Catherine, I hope we answered your question.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And also, yeah, sorry about the mic thing. I, I'll get right on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, um... not, my, the mic that I'm using is not very good at the moment, as you can probably hear. I'm going to need to pop by JB Hi-Fi and find something a little bit better.
0: But the other thing, Catherine, is um, you have me to blame for speaking on the other side of the room and not into a mic last episode. We actually do have something like four or five mics when we record on location but um, I was not originally meant to be in that episode so I didn't have a mic in front of me so um, I was like shouting across the room and that's why you didn't hear me very well I will try to amend that in future by either shutting up or just getting my own mic probably the latter (laughs) that's our email let's get into the topic well, actually, let's get into the interview first. So, this is the story of how Ralph came to be on the podcast. I think at the <laughs> end of at the end of twenty seventeen, when I was posting on our Facebook, I asked people what kind of things were you wanting to hear wanting to hear on um, the twenty eighteen episodes, and um, one of the commenters he. Brought you to my attention, Ralph, um, and he mm. he linked me, I think, to one of your trilogy nibs on Instagram. And at first, I thought, oh come on, this this nib is not going to work, <laughs> <But> <laughs> because you know how you see you see a lot of um, fountain pen memes and you see the crazy things that people do to their nibs, and most of it yeah. is cringeworthy, and um, and oh. you don't actually see them writing with it. You just see you know split times and. <laughs> Take just, a picture. Yeah, take a picture. I don't know what they're doing. Um, But it's not the sort of work I'd like to encourage. But um, I followed you on Instagram and I saw amazing things that you were doing. And I thought, yeah, um, I'd love to have this guy on the podcast. And um, so I reached out to you on Instagram and here you are. And I think this is the perfect topic. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Thanks for having me, you guys. (laughs) It really is an honor, like, honestly, it really is. It's fantastic. We'll
2: get your autograph later, please.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. I don't know about that. If anything, I should be getting yours. (laughs)
0: Uh, Ralph, just a few questions about yourself. So how did you get into fountain pens?
1: I guess my journey into fountain pens really started um, in college. I I wasn't really much of a a note taker on the computer. I I really liked working with uh, physical pieces of paper and a nice writing instrument. Um, So for a long time i you know had just used like a variety of different gel pens and etc um but i i would run into the same problem within like a single page of notes and that would be my my hand would cramp so somewhere along the ways i um i caught word that you know fountain pens allowed you to um, right with a feather light touch with little effort and on top of that there was the possibility of finding pens that um, fit your hand ergonomically so it, it would be more comfortable. So I started off a, a very uh, humble uh, Jinhao uh, 163 modeled after the uh, Mont D 144 and I, I used that for about four or five years um, just with a bottle of Aurora Black and some terrible notebooks because <laughs> I didn't really know better and then um, eventually I, I traveled out to Japan and um, I heard that they had really excellent fountain pens so I made it a, a little bit of a point to... Um, visit a pen shop and I, I made it out to uh, Kingdom Note in Shinjuku, Tokyo. I tested out a bunch of their different pens and stuff and I was exposed to the beauty that is the sensation of a gold nib and the different sensations that they could offer because at the shop they were kind enough to uh, let me sample anything that, yeah, right with anything that I was really interested in, um, or at least dip test. Yeah, so I, I left with uh, two pens and a bottle of Roshizuku and it was, uh, it was all downhill from there. <laughs>
0: So it's only, it's less than a decade that you've been obsessed with this.
1: Oh, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I've been in this for less than a year, or about a year now. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Great um, yep. learning curve.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, the slope was quite slippery, as we okay. like to say.
0: So in the years since you went to Kingdom Note, what's the current state of your fountain pen collection? Can you call it a collection?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure if I can call it a collection as much as a pile of hoarding <laughs> or something like that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm floating, I've quite downsized in order to purchase all the equipment to uh, manufacture and make the, the trilogy nibs. But at some point I was at about 200, 250 pens, and now I am down to about 100, 150, somewhere, somewhere arounds about. So yeah, I, I'd say uh, yeah, about, a, about 100 pens let's go with that
0: wow from zero to 200 in about a year that's that is <laughs> you a bit I, hard I, I,
1: I'm not joking when I say that this is very much an obsession <laughs> I'm, I'm at the point where I'm definitely dreaming about fountain pens
2: <laughs> so
0: Tab have you ever had a dream about a fountain pen
2: when have I ever not <laughs> uh, I'm pretty a... sure I have. I don't remember any specific ones, but I'm sure I have. I'm, I seem to recall like having like nightmares about some guy borrowing a vintage nib and just flexing the hell out of it and just bending it. It was, and then he was like, "I was like, what? What? Like that's what you do, right?" And I just kind of woke up and I was really cranky for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah. So if you want to um, have tabs screaming at you um, in despair. Like he's just woken from a nightmare, just threatened to flex one of his nibs.
2: It's okay <laughs> if you flex them; just be nice.
0: Yeah, softly, <laughs> yeah. softly. Ralph, do you yes. do you collect like mainly modern pens or are they vintage? Some vintage um, spread in.
1: I would definitely say modern. But the The majority of my pens are definitely on the modern side, but uh, uh, recently um, I've definitely taken a uh, a fascination to vintage pet nibs, uh, the vintage pens. But yes, nibs, pens are nibs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I think the whole installing vintage nibs onto new, especially customized pen bodies, that's an arena I haven't been able to dip my toe in quite yet, but I'm I'm really fascinated by that because one of my heroes, Le Reyes, I think she has a lot of mm-hmm. pens that are like that and they just look amazing. Well, I hope one of our local pen makers will do that. One day for me, Ralph. Wow. What what is your favorite pen currently, if you have one?
1: That's a little bit impossible to answer, I guess. But um if I really had to boil it down, I I, I guess like if you asked me to answer in like you know thirty seconds without hesitating, it'd probably be between my nineteen eighty seven Namiki faceted capless, the all matte one with a uh, with a Masyama, um one degree oblique cursive italic crisp, and also the um Richard Bender nib. Mm-hmm. Is funny? up there. Any pen that that fits in <laughs> really? There's really nothing. That as compared to that writing experience for me. It offers it a line like nothing else. And then uh, beyond all of that, I, I guess uh, it'd probably be my Sailor Pro Gear Mini with 21K full-size nib, uh, Tritone. And it's a nice, enormous chunk of 21K gold fit in a tiny little pocket pen. I've been hunting that for so long, and I finally found a, a kind person on eBay who was willing to let it go to me. So so the yeah, Pro Gear I, Minis, I guess i get to those three.
0: The Pro Gear Minis don't normally come with 21K nibs, do they? I thought they were 14k. Um,
1: the Pro Gear Slim Mini is uh, come with the 14k and are a little bit slimmer and uh, okay. I think I like it maybe a a few millimeters uh, shorter but the the uh, Pro Gear Mini uh, sailor in their naming it's always so confusing right yeah <laughs> yeah but the pro gear mini not the pro gear slim mini and not the pro gear slim uh mm-hmm. is much shorter than the pro gear slim and a little bit thicker than the mini but yes comes with the the full size uh, tritone uh nibs found on the sailor pro gears
0: fantastic okay yes, now, yes. so now we've got your bona fides um I'm gonna turn <laughs> this interview over to Tav and he has a bunch of questions for you, I think, about pen customization, which is what we're here to talk about.
2: Yeah, sure thing. Get into it. Thanks, Di. So you came to our attention when a podcast listener pointed to your trilogy nibs um on his Instagram. Can you describe these trilogy nibs for us?
1: Yeah, sure thing. Well the Trilogy Ninja nibs are an homage, uh, very much inspired by the Sailor King Eagle nib. And the Sailor King Eagle nib, for all our listeners out there who aren't familiar with it is a is a nib with two other nibs welded on top of each other, all in 21 karat gold. Um, so three, effectively three nibs molded on top of each other, or you know, in one. And uh, this was created by the late and great uh, Nobiyoshi Nagahara of the uh, Sailor Pen Company, and he did so in an effort to create a writing experience that, uh, or rather, a fountain pen that wrote similarly to a brush, where when writing at a higher writing angle, um, you can go up to a fine, extra fine line, and um, as the writing angle becomes shallower, you can. Get get up to like a nice fat I would say 3-4B. And the whole point of this was to be able to suit people who were looking for a fountain pen for Asian calligraphy where they write in characters and um, the way that they use line variation is very different and the way that the language was constructed was um, on manipulating the tool um, differently uh, to create line variation than um, its Western counterparts or rather uh, what, how Western nibs go about creating line variation historically. So the the trilogy nib is also a, a nib with two nibs. Well, it on top of each other, it's made from from Yovo number six nibs. Um, sorry, wait. In an effort give me a to be second. able, um, hmm? is it is it yeah, two sorry, nibs, what?
0: two nibs or three nibs on top of each other?
1: It's two nibs on top
2: of one, so a total yeah. of three.
1: Three <laughs> nibs. Yeah. Yeah,
2: It's a nib sandwich. Yes. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Yep. Yep. It's a nib a nice, sandwich.
1: nice fat nib sandwich. Yes. <laughs> and and um, the reason the, the reason for creating it well because I think you guys might have mentioned it in a previous episode, but uh, a lot of the Sailor specialty nibs um, were all created and made by hand entirely by uh, Nobiyoshi Nagara. I, I believe some other people may have assisted with um, some of the others, but uh, the the great Nagahara passed away a number of years ago, and um, since that time, uh, Sailors uh, stopped producing these Sailor specialty nibs, and um, it had been a long a dream of mine to be able to. to own one of these just because of the pure absurdity and gloriousness of it but uh as uh, time went on it became more and more apparent that there was a strong possibility that sailor is never going to produce these again and the longer i waited yeah the uh, I, think,
2: um, I think that his son and daughter or his children have taken up the mantle of sailor nib smith and are producing some of the the signature nibs. I don't know if they are producing that that gigantic nib sandwich monstrosity of the King Eagle, but um, hmm. they are. Um, I think they are still producing some, and they they have kind of. I think they were apprenticed to him as uh, you know when they were younger, and they've they've decided to take up the reins of the the Sailor Specialty Nib Department. So I don't think all is completely lost, but we might be waiting a little while until they finally you know work up the um, right. the. So with the word, the courage to, to splice three nibs together again, like their uh, their late and great father.
0: Isn't Nuggy? Yeah, yeah. Isn't Nuggy related to Nagahara San?
2: Um, I don't. I think Nika Naginata um, refers to is actually refers to a person. A Japanese style of sword. Ah,
0: okay. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. 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 The sharpening. Um, mm-hmm. th- rather than uh, Nobuyoshi Nagahara, I think this is Nagahara Junior, whatever their names yep. are.
1: Yukio. Yukio, Yukio, that's Naga,
2: right. Yukio yep. and, mm-hmm. and, and and I think I think his son as well. Yeah, Yukio is the son. Yeah, Yukio Naga. Oh, oh uh, sorry. I, th- I yeah. thought I thought yeah. Yukio was the woman. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, yeah but he he's producing here, the. Listening uh, to Yukio, I'm very sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 i think i think yukio is still producing the uh the sailor uh, naginata toki uh grinds which is a grind pretty much the same grind that is on the sailor king eagle nib just you know less nibs with a yes with less, less nibs, yes <laughs> but uh, yeah, if i'm talking to a lot of you know very reputable pen retailers here in the u.s it's it's seeming like that the confidence in ever seeing the great multi-layered nibs again is next to nothing but you know i could be wrong they could be wrong and i i hope we are those are those are magnificent nibs and i i want them back and i, I think people should be able to experience them i definitely want to which is why I, why i created the why I, um the trilogy was created in the first place
2: so when did you start, like first start experimenting on manipulating your own your own nibs when did you start kind of playing around with that
1: well i'd say i started i I've, <laughs> I've been modifying nibs probably within like the first two or three months of getting into fountain pens being that you know i haven't been into this terribly long but um seriously modifying them probably about uh two months ago you know, coming back, it's it's funny that you mentioned uh, Le Reyes, because uh, actually she's the primary inspiration, the, the main reason why I started experimenting in the first place. So when I was in the Philippines during December uh, for the holidays, uh, visiting some family, I somehow managed to uh, to be able to share dinner with her uh, twice. During my time spent with her, I cannot describe the abyss of things that I learned during those two short periods of time with her and then I have sc- scouring the internet for dumb pen knowledge, I-, I learned so much uh, during my time with her amazing, really a truly magnificent, amazing person. And anyways, uh, she I-, I told her some of the things that you know, I've been kind of playing around with and some of the things that I'd, I'd like to you know hope to do in the future, most notably, vintage flex nibs, I mean, not vintage flex nibs, but creating steel flex more accurately. And she gave me um, kind of uh, a lot of pointers on how to go up about researching, uh, figuring out how to achieve that. So yeah, we had a real long discussion about um, sailor shiro nibs, uh, white nibs, uh, that were creating during uh, the 20s and 30s, uh, during World War II, during wartime. Uh, There was a shortage of uh, gold, and gold was rationed. So they, they sought to create uh, a flex nib from steel. And uh, so she showed me a, su- a couple examples of those and some other um, attempts that people had made to modifying uh, steel Yovo nibs. And uh, I, I became kind of enthralled with the idea of modifying Yovo nibs further bes- beyond the tipping to be able to add a wider range of writing experiences to um, these fountain pens that many people would kind of argue are kind of monotonous and uh, lack character just because of the fact that they use a stock Yovo or Bach nib. So the idea of uh, modifying Finding fountain pen nibs, creating more interesting writing experiences, what became you know a fascination of mine, and adding uh, to be able to add to modern pens, especially to a lot of the custom pen makers out there who make their pens um, to fit Yogo Number Six nibs. And I want the best for all of them, and I absolutely love and adore the work that these people are doing. And I, I thought that this would be uh, a nice thing to add to the community if I could somehow pull it off. So that's how I started. Yeah.
2: Wow. You're a you're a brave man starting that early. It took me a couple of years before I started working on my nibs. Um, <laughs> yeah, and actually, the, one of the reasons why was because there's not really that much opportunity to do nib work in Australia to get nib work done. So. There's pretty much one place that will grind nibs in Australia, and it's it's uh, you do pay a pretty penny for their work. So I thought, you know, I'd, I'd start practicing on some cheap gin house. And I thought, oh, actually, I think I can get the hang of this. So then my next project after the gin house was, I think, a, a waterman and then another waterman. And then... I really did a good job on a uh, a sailor music nib, and that kind of gave me the confidence to say, "Yeah, I think yeah. I can do this regularly." You know.
1: Yeah, there you go. It only it, it only takes one pen. I found <laughs> as, mm. as I'm ta- talking to more people who are are practicing to become a nibmeister, I've learned that yeah, there's everyone has a story about that one pen that gave them the confidence to be able to actually modify and continue nibs. Mine was definitely, without mm. question, a gorgeous all sterling silver Conway Stewart that a dear friend of mine, Eric Roscoe, the founder of IncoWriMo, if you guys are familiar. Um, yeah, he allowed me to tune his pen uh, when I spent some time with him. And I was astounded that he allowed me to, to work on it. But um, he believed in me to, enough to do it. And since that time, I, I got over it a little bit working on nibs. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> there's my, my, mm. my one pen story. <laughs> The one pen
2: <laughs> so apart from this trilogy nib of yours are, you, are there any other little interesting projects that you're working on at the moment that we can get the inside goss on <laughs> yeah
1: okay. sure yeah uh, I am working on I, I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier I, I'm working very hard right now on being able to consistently and reliably make steel flex nibs that fit yovo number six feed units nib units that so that they're compatible with the very common pens that are out there or the pens that, that the modern day pens um, that accept such nibs. And I'm working right now to primarily on figuring out how to control the properties of the flex, you know, the balance between uh, maximum flex, softness, resilience to breakage, snapback most notably. Beyond that, I, I, I have a couple other ideas, um, baking for how to go about welding multiple nibs together to create interesting writing experiences. I'm definitely going to give um, doing, I, I guess, quote unquote, to speak the King Eagle Concord <laughs> nib a shot. Where it's a normal fine on one side, and then when you turn it upside down, it would function very similarly to a King Mm. Eagle, where there'd be three nibs kind of going backwards in a way. I I would definitely want to give that a shot, among others that I think are probably best kept secret for now. But
2: yeah, so, for
1: the the most part right now, uh, yeah, definitely Steel Flex is is definitely my focus for the time being, yes.
2: Right. Well, I mean, uh, what what are your opinions then on the flex nibs, the steel flex nibs on, for example, the Noodlers pens and certain other Indian brands? of a mm. fountain pen that, that can be modified from their existing somewhat flexible uh, current state to a state of being almost comparable to a dip pen in flexibility.
1: Yes, yes, almost. Yeah, and I, I've seen examples of those, and I certainly have purchased a number of modified uh, noodlers and uh, fountain pen revolution pens. But the issue with the stock ones, at least for me, is that the modern feel flex options require a tremendous amount of pressure compared to vintage nibs and dip nibs to be able to um, squeeze any form of line variation out of them. I mean you definitely can and you can certainly get the results if you have a trained hand, but I, you know, I simply just wasn't satisfied with uh, the performance or rather I, I wanted more. But the the one key thing about them that I have an issue with is that they're fit you know they're paired with a pen and they don't really interchange with other pens very easily and sometimes when i purchase a fountain pen revolution pen is as great as satisfying as those nibs can be sometimes and sometimes i, I do quite enjoy um, a firm semi flex nib I, sometimes I, i'd like to pair that with a with a better body as i've become more exposed to custom custom-made fountain pen nibs as i've become more familiar with uh, modern fountain pens uh, or other uh, modern fountain pen, custom pen makers uh, who uh, make pens that take standard yovo number six nibs I've I've, you know had a desire to be able to fit something more interesting into them so yeah my, my big gripe with them is that, that the nibs don't go into anything else they're stuck to the the cheaper bodies that they come with originally and um that's great and all for a person who's you know looking to purchase a you know a, a very low-cost entry-level flex nib but between the low-cost entry-level flex nibs and the current uh, modern offerings or even vintage ones for that matter there's a huge gap in what you would have to pay to be able to get a good vintage flex or modern flex you're looking at words of you know, above like 150 to at least purchase one with confidence. Of course, you can get lucky with uh, with some vintage examples at pen shows and uh, antique shops and etc. But uh, with between the range of about, you know, 30 to that 150, there's there's really nothing. And there's certainly nothing to be able to uh, certainly nothing that you can kind of like add to the pens that you currently have. And uh, there have been modifications out there such as uh, fitting Zebra G calligraphy dip nibs into certain pens. But you know, that comes with its own issues and definitely headache. So yeah, that's, uh I guess that would be my tip. Cents on current steel flexors.
2: Yeah, I was recently gifted a Jinhao, I think a 750 with a G nib. Put into Zebra Genie, put into it um, by someone at a at an FPO Sydney meet. Quite <laughs> generous, of it actually, and um, I really, really wanted to like it, but unfortunately, the ink flow is just not. I mean, I still use it, mm-hmm. but the uh, the ink flow is not quite there. You know, um, and I think you're, you're right. There is a big gap in the market, and I think people in in the um, the pursuit of both convenience and flexibility are turning to the very expensive vintage flex pens. And I see it a lot where people just don't know where to stop with a vintage nib. And so therefore they can, you know, they they might end up damaging or breaking uh, one of these vintage mm-hmm. nibs. So it's got a, a moderately priced, not necessarily cheap, a modern steel flex nib, uh, you know, steel being able to withstand a lot more deformation, I suppose. Mm. Um, or less use. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's much yeah. more durable. So, you know, it seems like it'll both fill a gap in the market and also solve a lot of issues that people have with, vintage nibs cracking and breaking and being sprung and yeah absolutely
1: you know, yeah, yeah
2: every time i see someone go oh Hey, is my nib supposed to look like this? I kind of die a little bit inside, and I think if only there was a cheaper pen that you could use, or if, if only you'd started off with maybe a, a Zebra geni or something. But you know, I think it would it would help people who are new to fountain pens avoid having to spend five hundred dollars on a an otherwise quite ordinary Waterman fifty two or something like that. Um, in the pursuit mm. of that, really, everyone must yeah you know, must have that flexibility, but at the same time, you they won't be out of pocket by too much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I, I have to mention that the real reason that I'm I'm doing all of this. I really do believe in a lot of the the work that custom pen makers are doing. I've, I've really had taken to being fascinated by the craftsmanship behind it, you know, the artistry, the ingenuity, everything that goes behind crafting a custom-made pen, but it really irked me every time I heard about someone saying, you know, why should I spend over $300 on this pen it just has a stock Steal Viovo nib. And um, I realized that that was, you know, something that might be, you know, affecting a lot of these people, many of whom are I consider dear friends. So I'm doing this stuff in the pursuit of helping them out and also to help bring interesting writing experiences to people who wouldn't normally be able to attain that without you know, spending a considerable amount of money. So it, it really was like a passion project out of a desire to help the people that I care about here, or at least, you know, for the best of the custom pen makers that I admire and respect or something like that. Yeah, not so much to fill a market gap, but rather to add to something of theirs that I felt they were missing
2: because I, I want the best for them. That's really great. I'm sure the, the pen community is very thankful for the, the contribution that you're making.
1: I hope they will and be.
2: <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, you you were, you were recently at the, the Philadelphia pen show uh, as, as a vendor. Was that your first time as a vendor at a pen show?
1: Yes, that was my very first time as a vendor. Very interesting experience. Wow. Indeed. What was that like? <laughs> it was vastly different than being an attendee, I can tell you that. Um, oh, there, good and, uh, good thing was,
2: or bad things. <laughs>
1: A combination of both. It was less enjoyable, but much more friendly to my wallet. Yeah, I didn't have as much time to walk around and, you know, be tempted by all the beauties that people had to offer on the other tables. But yeah, it, it was a very, very interesting experience. I was fascinated to see the inner workings, the behind the scenes of, of the pen show world. And um, most notably, the one experience that I left with, the one impression was uh, a thing thing that I, I learned that I was fascinated by was um, how close the vendor community kind of is. There, there's almost like a people, people like to refer to them as like the traveling carnival, because, you know, it's, it's the same vendors. Um you can find a lot of the same vendors at the the same show, so they all just you know they're just seeing each other like every couple of months and stuff like that. But um yeah, they're all they all know each other and have known each other for years. They're all incredibly close and stuff like that. So it's uh yeah, it was it was quite fascinating and yeah, just uh, generally warming to be welcomed into yeah, such a group of uh of vendors, people who are so passionate about
2: what we love.
0: Was there any sort of initiation that um you had to pass to be included in that <laughs> community of vendors? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Run the gauntlet! Wow. My
1: initiation, right, would probably, and if anything, would be uh, running um, electrical cables down to from the outlet by my table down to other people's. People seem to quite appreciate that, but but most people <laughs> who uh, who've ended fountain pen shows uh, fountain pen people in general are, are the greatest people in, in the world, and <laughs> I'm convinced. And uh, yeah, they're all incredibly nice. And if anything, I was really taken aback by how welcoming they all were especially to someone as young as I was and you know that being my first show I I was under the impression that coming into it uh you know I would kind of be kind of like brushed off or given a side eye just because you know just like what's this young kid here owning a table at the at the show (laughs) uh but uh yeah it certainly wasn't the case everyone was was incredibly kind and so eager to share what they know it's wonderful they're great
2: that's that's um, that's lovely. i I can't say I'm privy to the the world of, of fountain pen vendors, really, but uh, it sounds like it's a lovely world to be in. so so you you had your trilogy nibs on sale on um desiderata bodies. um yes, is there yes. any reason why you picked the desiderata brand or, or their body designs for a re- like
1: yeah, like a-, yeah, a, c- a couple of reasons, I guess. Well, the first thing was that Pierre of Desiderata Pens creates his pens with uh, with ebonite feeds that are made to accept the Zebra G units that we were speaking of earlier. <laughs> so, so for those who aren't familiar, um, yeah, uh, Desiderata Pen Company creates uh, fountain pens in all different shapes and forms. And they're made to accept the uh, full flex calligraphy nibs um, so that you can have a, a nice, reliable fountain pen with a dip like dip pen, like, like experience so you don't have to worry about uh you know the flow issues on a jinhao or whatever but I was interested in working with Pierre because of the the feeds I felt that the the trilogy nibs having you know three nibs per welded together and dumping ink out onto the page I, they would have a, a really heavy demand for for ink flow so I was quite keen on working with, with ebonite feeds and, and desiderata was an option and on top of it um you know expanding on my desire to help my friends out as much as I can earlier uh, Pierre from Desiderata is a, is a great friend of mine I've watched after his work for you know as long as I've been into fountain pens I've always been fascinated by the the idea of you know like full-flex fountain pens like under a hundred dollars which he offers and uh, he He's a local here, also in Chicago. So uh, meeting up with him over coffee to discuss it—it it was natural, I, I guess—is the best way to say it. Offered what I exactly what I was looking for, what the trilogy needed. So yeah, that's that's how uh, I decided on Bessie Dorada pens.
2: No, you're a lucky man to to know Pierre well. I've been a, I've definitely been an admirer of him. Uh, I actually own one of his prototypes. It's a very rough looking pen, but I, I remember just when he was first starting out making fountain pens. I bought one of his prototypes, and I still use it to this day. It's it's fantastic for if I need to. Like say, for example, if I'm going to someone's birthday party and I'm going to make a card for them, but I'm also running really late. So I'll take <laughs> the Desiderata pen with me and I'll do some calligraphy on the go with it. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a, a useful, practical pen with a very good feed on it. The, the Ebonite feed makes all the difference. And uh, I mean, it's not not much to look at, but it's functional. It does its job. And I his newer stuff is very nice to look at. I Oh, I have been yeah. lusting after a few of them, but <laughs> I've managed to I've managed to keep my wallet closed so far because I have one already.
1: He's come a, quite a long way, and I will say that you I'm I'm quite envious. You do you do have a a piece of history with you, sir. His um he continues to improve his the designs and the quality of his work, like day after day. I, I have seen his newest pens, the uh, Chado and uh, the uh, Procession, and those are absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous pens. And um, if anything, uh, the one thing I'd like to note is, you know, just uh, you know, Pierre Pierre designs his pens in a with a very different language than I've seen from other pen makers. He takes he takes it a little bit less than an approach of creating something that's you know a piece of beauty, but kind of more focuses on it being an instrument, a tool. So whenever I I see uh, Desiderata pens, I think almost they're almost reminiscent. Of the feeling of, of uh, looking at, you know, a, an oblique holder for dip nibs, uh, per se, you know, like a, a very handcrafted tool.
2: I do, I do get that. Like it, it does, they do feel like they are a holder, handcrafted pen holder with mm-hmm. an inbuilt reservoir. You know, that's there's something about their design that, that makes them feel that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. His pens are very, very good. And, and to our listeners, if you are really, really, really thirsting after some flex from a, a pen that can give you uh, almost like, well, can literally do calligraphy better than any vintage flex. And I can promise you that. Give the Desiderata Pen Company a uh, a, a checkout because their pens with their G nibs are fantastic. And they also can come with Yovo number six nibs as well. Yep. yep. Now, speaking of the Nagahara nibs that you are you're hoping to well that you hopefully have emulated successfully with your <laughs> Trinity nibs. Apart from those, the Nagahara King Eagle nibs. Do you have another favourite from the Sailor range?
1: The sail- my, my favorite Sailor specialty nib of all time is the uh, the Sailor King Cobra nib. For those who aren't familiar with the Sailor King Cobra nib, it's it's also a, a multi-tier nib. It's stacked. It's a stacked nib with, with only two nibs, but the bottom nibs are almost like offset of the side of the top nib. It's very hard to describe, but it gives it a very, very, like, almost like a vicious, like, <laughs> like stealth plane Cobra, I guess, like, looking look. And uh, from what I've seen online from samples by the great... Esperi Brown and Aziza and uh, and Le Reyes, um it's it writes much more like a fat marker than even the King Eagle does. So that's one that's one I've definitely lusted after. And if anything, it's it's probably because of beyond that, it's it's my fascination with however it was created. I keep looking at that thing from all different angles, from every every picture that I can possibly get of it. And uh, you know, I can't for the life of me like you know I have ideas, but like I, it's just it's a really like a fascinating piece of work. <laughs> so. In that case, yes, yeah, Sailor King Cobra nib.
2: So you're like me in that you just you you want a pen that's as close to the experience of literally pouring a bottle of ink <laughs> onto the paper. Because <laughs> you know, that's kind of what I like as well with nibs.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it's really funny that you mentioned this uh, great double broad tab uh, because I, <laughs> I'm actually a a fine extra fine guy, Japanese extra fine. That's that is my nib. At least you know that's the, that's a nib that that benefits my handwriting the most and stuff like that. And I've mentioned uh-huh. before that I have I have this fascination with with different writing experiences, but you know, it's it's just like the sailor king cobra really does offer a writing experience that, like, nothing else can possibly provide. Like, how else are you going to get, like, a, a nib with a cross point in it with two, I don't know, 6B nibs welded on the bottom offset from the center with enormous amounts of tipping and stuff like that? It's absurd, you
0: know? Do you think Nagahara-san, when, in his youth, maybe, he was just thinking, you know, what the hell? Let me just try this <laughs> and see what, what, what comes up, you know? Like, you, know um, <laughs> you know, the stories... Yeah. I think it's a um, a post hoc justification. You know, I'm trying to recreate the Japanese brush star writing experience. I think maybe he was just, you know, let's just stack these nibs on top of each other and see what happens. Yeah, What happens if
2: I glue these nibs together? Ooh, actually, this works really cool.
0: I think yeah. That's, right. Yeah. That's just how invention <laughs> happens,
2: right? Yeah. I,
1: I wouldn't take it away from. That's that's definitely how. Okay. So I, I have a knit up that I'm working on. It's called the uh, what I'm calling at least for now the Leviathan. That absolutely was a mistake. Very much the same way. I was just like, huh. Let me see if I throw this cut and this cut and this cut on here. <laughs> it, it was a scrap piece that I thought I you know I ruined because I I cut a little bit too far on the the top crosslip. So I was like, all right. Well, this is a good opportunity for to for me to experiment with what the other cuts would do if I kind of threw it in there. So I was like, all right. I'm gonna put all the cuts all of them all
2: the cuts (laughs) on all the
1: cuts on one nib let's just see where where it goes and i was doing it just to see like how the cuts would interact with each other but then lo and behold it functioned it it kept going it wouldn't spring it kept it had really good snapback and i was like okay well i guess it's it's organ (laughs) I guess I should come up with reasons on on why it is that I came up with this, right, Mr. Nagahara?
0: <laughs> we will not tell anyone. Well, yeah, we, we, I
2: mean, we've, we have heard some chatter about this Leviathan. She sounds ominous. right? Well, when I showed Tab the, the um, when I, he, I showed oh, okay. the video,
0: he was like, "Oh my god!" And then, "Oh, it's steel. That's all right then."
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought it was like, right. nib for a second. I was about about to get really mad. <laughs> because if you like the if you nip like that, I'm probably gonna find you and end you because like that's a cry. <laughs> yeah, but, like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's okay yeah. by all means.
1: That's exactly a big reason why I um a lot of what i'm what I'm experimenting with right now, current like, literally before we hopped on the podcast, it was different ways of making a flex nib abusable, if that makes sense. Like with with flex nibs, like, you know, you're you're not definitely not supposed to go that far. That's for damn sure. But beyond that, it's the uh, like, you know, you shouldn't be able to use it side to side, you always want to be using zero pressure with the, with the tipping fully back together when you move side to side or on the upstroke. I, I've, I've been experimenting with creating a flexible nib that will write well, and even when at full flex on the upstrokes and side strokes, if that makes sense, something like that.
2: Wow, that's a yeah. that's a challenge. I mean, uh, yeah. wow. I, I mean, I'm yeah. sure someone's going to manage to break it. Like, because if you say that, oh, it's abusable. someone's going to be like, well, sounds like a job. Challenge door.
1: accepted. <laughs>
2: exactly. Someone's going to be like, oh, what do you mean? I can't just like literally stab it into the paper like a caveman.
1: Oh, I've handed nymphs to people, like some of my you know my deeper experiments, and I'm like. Please break this. Like, just, just try to. Let me know what you thought about your experience of breaking it. And everyone refuses to. So, to all your listeners out there, if ever I oh, end up, here? you know, <laughs> making these bubbles, please accept the challenge.
0: <laughs> I think you need to mail us some testers. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> for, for for science you know it,
1: it, it, for science it, it, this could be a ring.
2: for science all well, in the name of science yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> as the uh, the, the uh, unofficial flex nib grump of fountain pens oceania you know <laughs> yeah. i can test and be like oh i guess it's all right i suppose i mean hmm
1: yep, yep. and hey now that you know now that uh diana's got her magnificent king eagle nib the real thing <laughs> coming in fairly soon i mean maybe i can throw in a, a trilogy a trilogy tester nib as well for you guys to compare Oh,
0: i'd love once, that, once, that comparison yeah.
1: that's a good idea yeah. <laughs> I, I recently um, sent one out to Aziza of Gourmet Pens and S.B.R.E. Brown to check out, and they seem quite enthused with it. The only thing is that the uh, run of nibs that I made this time around, um, it was only a, there were only a, like a 12 units I've created so far. They were made with uh, medium nibs, not with uh, broad. So the next run will be made with uh, broad mm-hmm. nibs. Dr. Brown gave me a, a writing sample of the trilogy in comparison with you know some of the other specialty nibs, and it's almost one-to-one with the uh, the cross point in terms of the broadness. So, you know, I've got to up it a little bit. Yeah, of course
0: you so. do. Have you written with a king eagle in real life? Then
1: I have not written with a king eagle. Um, I've written with a number of crosspoints. Yeah. Um, I have had the chance to uh, see one and check it out. And, uh, and actually, when I was in the Philippines, I met with uh, nibmeister uh, John Lim. If you guys aren't familiar with John Lim, he does incredible, amazing work. I and he also created uh, a nib that we that he's dubbing the hawk. Um, that's inspired by the king. Uh, by the sorry, not the king. Uh, the uh, the sailor concord nib, which is a uh, downturn nib. But anyways, he he is a owner of the Sailor Cross Concord, which is basically mm-hmm. two nibs on top of each other, but in uh, in reverse. So it's a it's the fine writing on on uh, one side, on the normal side of writing, and then uh, when you flip it over, it turns into the a cross point. And um, he was kind enough to allow me to very much together to. Disassemble and the nib basically, and like run the, like you know little shims all over it to figure out where it was welded and stuff like that. And oh, and I, I sorry, I have to make a correction. It was the Cross Concord Emperor. So mm-hmm. we even removed like the little the the emperor tab. tab on the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tab on the well, top too. But for it. yeah, but um, but it, but examining that nib loose and you know being able to do crazy things with it as we did definitely gave me a lot of the answers that I needed to be able to uh, recreate the the King Eagle okay each
0: <laughs> we'll make a we'll make a deal um you send us some of your leviathan and um a trilogy <laughs> nib and i will send you my king eagle to test um when it arrives
1: oh. at some point <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah we have a deal <laughs> yeah <laughs> i they come can't back. say no to that oh my god it, yes that'd be incredible <laughs> you, you, yeah you can count on a trilogy nib coming your way
2: okay, <laughs> a couple fantastic. of Ithans too Oh yeah, wow! Oh, he's, a, he's like a kid in a candy store now. Wow!
0: Uh, uh, I, come on! I need to compare yeah, these. No, science.
2: have it got Quite infamous for, for science. 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 Over excited. Yeah, <laughs> for
1: science. Yes, all for science.
2: What? So do you? Do you think? Yeah, this is this could be. We could discuss this until the cows come home. But do you think there's any sort of way to say that you can be qualified to be called a, a, a nibmeister? Is, is there like a, a basic set of skills you need to have? Did you have to be apprenticed to an existing nibmeister? up. Or, or do you reckon the term is just kind of thrown out there to, you know, to the point of overuse?
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I saw this in the show notes and I gave this quite a lot of thought. And it's definitely a topic that I've been, I've been thinking about a lot recently as people continue to, you know, attempt to call me a nibmeister. But I would almost say that nibmeister at the heart is nib master, a master of the nib. And a nibmeister's main role, goal, function is to be able to fit a writing instrument, the tool, to the wielder's hand, right? and um, I'll. For, with that a lot of skills are required to be able to do this a little bit of fountain pen repair skills in uh, smoothing and polishing tuning and adjusting and of course um, grinding away but uh, the thing is is that it, it should be remembered that NIMmeisters they're they're meant to create stuff that's meant for another person, a tool that's supposed to be in their hand, um, not theirs. So in my mind, the way I feel about it, and this is, of course, just, you know, my own personal opinion, but I, I feel like I don't I, I feel like someone can't just say that they're a nibmeister and do or do nibmeister stuff and then, you know, become a nibmeister. I feel it's a title that has to be almost earned uh, by the people where after you've kind of almost like proven in yourself, quote unquote, over and over again, to be able to do your job, do to, to do the, the role that a nibmeister is supposed to play, which is tailoring a fountain pen to the owner's hand. So the reason why I have this feeling is because one of the biggest qualifiers for me is consistency in the work. Most people can really, if you look at enough diagrams or if you study the tipping, the shape of the tipping of you know the great nibmeister's work, such as Mike Masyama or Richard Bender, modisha etc., you can do pretty well with enough attempts to stake like a cursive italic on par with Masyama's on a Jinhao nib yourself. Given enough opportunities, the question is. Can you recreate that numerous times over and over again? So in my mind, it it has to be almost earned and proven and awarded by the people that you're you're tailoring for. You can get really good at creating cursive italics, even, but if it's something that doesn't fit the user's hand or the users, you know, whoever it is that you hopes to use it, besides just yourself, then I don't really feel like that would qualify um, that person as being a dimmeister, if if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, 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 I get get that. Um, I've never really wanted to refer to myself as one because. I don't want to put myself on par with Masuyama and and Binder and and Modishaw because those guys have been at it for decades. Um, Absolutely. You know, I've been doing it for a couple of years, but people sometimes call me a nibmeister and I kind of sometimes go, eh, okay, all right. But <laughs> I just consider myself a technician. You know, I, I, I know how to work an ib, I know how to do things. I know how to fix things. I know how to customize things. Um, and I'm confident in what I do. And I think I do a pretty good job of it. I'm you know, yeah, I mean, hey, be very happy with the work that I do. So.
1: From uh, from all accounts, it seems like you're, you're on your way to earning that title very publicly. Great it seems
2: it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, yeah. I don't know if, I, if, I, um, if I'll ever even use that, that term for myself because I think maybe it's just me, me being a, the artist in talking, but I found that that mastering something is very difficult to do. It's, it's, you spend your whole life doing something and never actually fully master it. Yes,
1: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: So I put yeah. this
0: question, um, I wrote this down in the show notes because I was genuinely interested what you guys would think about it, seeing as you're both at various stages of practicing and developing that skill and also just kind of starting out to, to put like a price on your services to try and commodify that. And I agree with Tav. I think Nibmeister is a, is a really grandiose term. And I agree with you, Ralph, that um, it's something that I think is earned through consensus. You need to build up enough customer feedback and enough customer support to really earn that title. But at the same time, there is a big step up from someone who is confident enough to work on their own nibs and someone that you would trust with your nibs. You know? Yes, um, yes. Oh uh, yes. Like I wouldn't call Tab simply a technician, but I don't think perhaps he he has done enough work for other people to have the range of feedback to be able to market himself as a nibmeister maybe that's a little bit early or premature
2: yeah definitely
0: but there's nothing in between which is part of the issue right because how mm. do you instill trust in other people and say i can do this consistently and i can do my utmost to to get a satisfaction from you that is going to be worth what you've entrusted me with, uh, whether it's in terms of the nib or you know, as a fee. And I don't want to overpromise, but you know, this is what I can deliver, and I will be able to deliver that. Yeah. And there's there's no real in-between term for that kind of person, I don't think, at the moment. So you either end up overrating someone or underrating them. It's very mm. easy to, to fall into that trap, which is why <laughs> I personally don't really like the term nibmeister. I think just because it's in a different Language doesn't mean it's fancier.
2: Um, well, that's the thing; it's a it's a poor of two different words from two different languages. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um,
2: nib nib in German is not nib; it's fader. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: So it would be actually fadermeister, but I don't Fede. I don't think that's what the Germans would call <laughs> would call it. So I like
1: that fadermeister. Fadermeister. Yeah. sounds like um, a
2: like a last name.
1: I would definitely agree with the sentiment that the term nibmeister is definitely kind of thrown around. A little bit too loosely and of course like there are many people out there who claim to be Nidmeisters themselves but are the, that title is almost self-appointed Isn't appointed by the people. And, um, you know, I I have issue with this because you can't determine if you successfully customized and tailored a pen to that other person. You know, they have to do that. And, you know, without building that feedback, that rapport, yeah, I don't feel like you can really call yourself a Nibmeister. But most importantly, I guess, the main question was, you know, how do you make the leap from being a person who does DIY work to actually marketing your skills and working on other people's pens and doing Nibmeister work on other people's pens? I, I would almost call it unethical to accept work to customize another person's pen unless you have full confidence and other people have expressed confidence in your work to be able to do so. And the reason being is because, you know, fountain pens are these are very precious items and whether or not beyond even the expense of a lot of these pens that are people would like to have customized, a lot of them have value that goes far beyond just the financial value of it. You know, a lot of a lot of fountain pens are heirlooms from loved ones. So, you know, these things are are very very precious to people in many many different ways. So, when you accept work to manipulate permanently these items, I feel like you should know within your heart that there is very little chance that your work will go wrong or something like that, if that makes sense. I think that the point in which it's okay for someone to kind of market, sell, accept work to permanently change other people's precious items is when you know, and other people know, and it's you've definitely like, you know, clearly proven yourself in one way or the other. So I I would definitely agree with you. The term Nibmeister is a little bit overused. I definitely have a little bit of an issue with people who accept work to manipulate permanently other people's items without being fully confident or consistent in what they can deliver. And I I think there's like a wide range, like different terms that probably can be used in that odd gray zone between DIY and Nibmeister. You know, like, you, you call yourself technician, Dev, and, you know, I call myself a crazy dude. But <laughs> it's like, you know, it's everyone kind of, like, approaches the craft in a very different way. And there's there's a lot of set of skills that fall under the, the quote-unquote nibmeister. And, uh... Like, I certainly would not consider myself a nibmeister in any sense of the word, because I have not proven myself and I definitely have not have had enough experience customizing fountain pens, tailor, tailor fitting them to other people's hands. But along the way of doing this, I've been forced to pick up a lot of the skills to be able to create what it is that I'm creating just because it was necessary. Like For example, it became very necessary for me to learn how to you know reduce a nib size or create a needle point, or um, especially if there's anything that I would say that I'm pretty proud of, it's my ability to polish and smooth nibs. That's that's a skill that I've honed and developed very, very carefully over the last couple of months. But I would not feel confident Accepting any work to modify the shape of the tipping or to remove material like that, I'll smooth, I'll smooth and tune a pen and adjust it to, to, you know, to function. But to alter the actual writing experience of another person's precious item would be immoral for me to do, unethical for me to accept at this point.
2: Hmm. Some people just think that if you've got a business doing it, then you're a nibmeister. You know, if you've yeah. got a proper, or a full-on, you know, full-time business doing it, then that's that's what you are. You're a nibmeister. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That it is. A t- there's no line that you need to cross. There's no delineation on normal person versus nibmeister, <laughs> Don't know, you can't be normal and want to be a nibmeister, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> pens, are, pens are frustrating work.
0: Yeah. I
2: think,
0: it is. I think building up a customer base. I think it's made easier but also tougher by the fact that a lot of people send their pens to nibmeisters or um, nib technicians over the internet nowadays. Well, they do it through the mail. They have no direct Yeah contact except maybe at pen shows and I think I've I've sent a few pens overseas to to Dan Smith in US and I've done that repeatedly but I've also had Tav take care of and tune several of my pens And I think the benefit of that is that um, we live in the same city and I see him regularly and I can, I know I can trust him to do it to my specification. And if I'm not happy with it, then I can send it back to him. And yeah, yeah, and he knows that I'll be honest with my feedback and I know that he'll look after me because, you know, I'll I'll probably give him shit if he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) And he charges me fairly for that work. So I think, I hope that's like a good relationship to have because having um, us as friends and as supporters of his work in Sydney, that allows him to build up experience and also um, feedback and hopefully to get up to a point of confidence where he is happy to accept, you know, um, work from anyone. And that's maybe one route to becoming, you know, comfortable with accepting a lot of different types of work from
1: a lot of different types of people. Yep, yep. And just to add to that, like, yeah, there really is nothing, nothing like the experience of sitting face to face with a master of the nib. There really isn't. The the internet is great because it it allows people to get connected to these services that they would be impossible to find otherwise. So being able to, yeah, send your nibs off to Dan Smith or Masayama. It's really awesome that you can do that nowadays, but there definitely is a disconnect where without knowing, being familiar with that person's hands and their preferences, it becomes very difficult to be able to kind of to tailor a pen for someone's hand, especially when, you know, they've never seen that hand before or are completely unfamiliar with how the person writes. So it is incredible. It really is that, you know, someone and you're close to someone like Tav, where, you know, you can have that conversation. In my mind, the greatest the greatest nib customization work that you can get is when you're sitting right in front of the Nibmeister and they can see exactly how you write and will know instinctively what they need to do and also can have a conversation with them like, as you're going back and forth until you find the perfect nib for you. Otherwise, there's only so far that even like pictures of your hand or you know even sending a video of how you write uh, will go. That nibmeisters, from what I've seen, ones that I would, people that I would consider nibmeisters in the truest form, very much have an instinctive sense of what it is that needs to be done to your pen just by looking at you write the quick brown fox and uh that's just an experience that you can't have any other way so you know for our listeners out there if you guys ever want the pinnacle of what a custom-made tailored writing experience would be find yourself in deadmeister get yourself in front of tav all people in oceana
2: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean I, I i plan on traveling australia not specifically for fountain pen related things but you know i'd like to go around the place just to see the rest of the country and i'm often down in melbourne as well so you know you guys, you guys want to Watch me work. You're more than welcome to. And um, at the Sydney Penn Show, I plan on making an appearance as well.
0: Oh, cannot wait for the Sydney Penn Show.
2: Ooh, yeah. that's going to be great. <laughs>
0: Let's just get on to the the broader question um, or the broader topic of customization. For both of you, I'd like to pose the question, what do you think the main reasons why people order customized pens? Is it just because they want a grail that is just for them? Do they have maybe special needs um, they can only get with a customized pen? Is it because they're a collector and they they have to have it all and they want something because no one else has it? You know, uh,
1: for customized pens, it's a... You know, it sounds like an opt-out, a cop-out answer, but it, I, I would say that, that the reasons definitely vary greatly from person to person. I would definitely agree with the sentiment that a lot of people uh, simply just want a bespoke, one-of-a-kind item um, that is theirs and theirs alone, so that there's something um, special behind it. But, uh, you know, I, I guess like maybe a, a broader reason that applies to more people who are interested in custom pens would definitely be the appreciation for the artistry, the craftsmanship behind the creation of such a pen. People love a pen with a story. You know, it's a big reason why people are into vintage pens. It uh it, it acts as a an artifact of something in the past and or oftentimes of like a story or or you know, for example like the Parker Big Red Duofold had on uh on the way fountain pens were perceived, uh, as you know, kind of made them more of a uh, a colorful item rather than the kind of like a Blaine Black BCHR tool. So I think that's a reason that's more ubiquitous. But I think the main reason, at least for me, the main advantage is that we, we love these things because because they're they're a tool that we love for a lot of different reasons. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Something along the lines <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> the beauty of a fountain pen is being able to find one that's right for your hand. A very special person once said there's a, fountain, a pen for every hand. And I think that, you know, people have very different preferences on, you know, the ergonomics of the body, on the way that a, a nip should perform. Every aspect of the pen in relation to how it is that they are familiar with using this tool or prefer to use a tool. So being able to have the option to customize a pen, go to a custom pen maker, such as uh, Sean Newton's Scriptorium Pens, I'm blanking. Desiderata, uh, Carolina Pen Company, Edison, Herbert Pen Company. All, all these people are able to create a a fountain pen that's very specifically tailored to you and your hand, at least in the body. And you mentioned customization on the writing experience. And I would probably carry on the same the same reasons for loving a custom pen, the very same reasons to the nib and writing experience. It's, it's more tailor made. It's one of a kind. And it's, um, there's a there's a level of craftsmanship behind it that you know, gives you an artifact, a relic of a person's work of, of a person's blood, sweat and tears and their imagination and creativity in, in a in manifested in a physical form that you can hold with your own two hands or one two if you're weird I don't know
2: who does that
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice to say. Tav, have you ever um, ordered a custom pen or would you order a custom pen?
2: Yeah, yeah. As I said, I'm I'm writing with two of them now. Uh, my, my Ebonite pens that I've had done in India, I've, 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 these are the second lot of Indian Ebonite pens, but albeit from a different company. I think my first custom pens were by the Ranger Pen Company. I ordered mm-hmm. two of them. I still have one of them and one of them I, I moved to another loving home. Then I've ordered these and I'm actually in the process of there, of um, talking with James Finnis of, uh, of melbourne in having an acrylic pen made for myself as well so yeah i'm very much big on custom pens but um as w- with regards to custom nibs the only nib work that i've had uh, i have had some nib work done by dan smith but none of it was modification to stub or whatever it was all just to tune these nibs and also i've had some retip jobs done by Greg Minuskin. So those are the custom pens that I've ordered. I suppose I have four custom pens that were made for me by a company and had turned out of ebonite.
0: When I think about modification and customization, I think on the one hand, the extreme is maybe like Nakaya, where Nakaya produce their nibs, they produce their own feeds, they they build their own bodies. Finish on the bodies can be made to your specification, where you provide the design and they will create a new finish, if that's your wish. And that is maybe the most
2: customised uh, um, one. I think I can, can one-up that, actually. Yeah? I think I can no, def- one-up that. There's a, there's a Spanish definitely. company called Romillo Pens. Mm-hmm. Yes. They okay. forge the nibs themselves. I know Nakaya. I think Nakaya yeah. has them done by Platinum. Romillo will make the nib to your specifications of flexibility and whatever. They'll tip it to your standards, and they will make the pen body from scratch out of whatever material you want. They will carve the feed to whatever wetness you have, you, you desire in your nib. The whole thing is completely made, one hundred percent for you, and you do pay for that. They are very expensive, <laughs> but yeah. that is the complete custom experience. I think Romillo pens. There are things of beauty. Their nibs, their nibs look like. I think they have this kind of a phoenix logo on them. They're beautiful things. And no two are alike because you could tell the nibs are hand forged. It's so amazing.
1: Stunning absolutely stunning work, yeah. And then, you know, add to that, there are a ton of uh, custom pen makers, at least here in the US, that I'm familiar with,
2: you know, most notably,
1: you know, Sean Newton, who will take an existing uh, nib or nib unit, and and pretty much any nib unit I've seen, like, he'll do anything, it seems like, or, like, has had success with everything, and fit it to a custom body for specification. So, for example, like, I have a Conway Stewart 18 karat nib uh, here with me, just loose, and it's just, you know, sitting unloved, no pens, because I have no pens that accept a Bach, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely apply on procuring a, um, a custom pen body for that nib uh, in the future. So custom pen makers offer you a vast number of options to be able to achieve you know, the pen of your dreams, essentially, which is why I'm a huge proponent of, of custom pens. I think they're beautiful.
0: I think my issue as someone who enjoys having a lot of pens is there is no such thing as the perfect pen for me. <laughs> like, yeah. um, presented with all those choices, I don't <laughs> know what is favourite, I don't have a favorite. So, what I come down to is I value the customization because of its uniqueness and not for how it matches my particular writing style or my hand or the way that I the angle that I hold mm-hmm. my pen. And okay. I think people value them probably for different reasons, but you would probably only pay, you know, upwards of 2-3000 Australian. I don't know how much that is exactly US because you're someone who doesn't just appreciate it for the writing experience but who appreciates the craftsmanship and the one of a kindness of the pen.
1: Mm. Yep, absolutely bespoke.
0: Yeah, absolutely bespoke. Yeah, I love those. So I I aim to. I'd love to be one day um, be able to afford a custom nakaya design. Oh yes. Because uh, when you browse their galleries, there are some that you can provide them with gemstones, or you can ask for raden on this particular drawing. You can provide them with an illustration, a concept, and they will just they will do that for you. I don't know if they still do that to the extent that they used to. Maybe um, they've slowed down that production line, but maybe one day. (laughs) <laughs> One day yeah. soon, hopefully.
1: I, I do I do also have to add that customizing your fountain pens goes far beyond even working with custom pen makers and nibmeisters. For example, like there are numerous uh, Arushi artists, uh, mm. you know, uh, of uh, Jonathan Brooks, of course, in, here in the States, but most notably in my mind is a studio called Bokmondo in uh, Tokyo. And you can take basically almost every pen under the sun and have it arushied with makie in your desired uh, design and, and artwork or whatever. So so there are a lot of different players mm-hmm. uh, within the in- industry that can add that extra bit of th- that special touch. Yeah. yeah. Um... And, I, and just a comment comment earlier is like, you mentioned that you, you don't know your fountain pen of your dreams. So it's your reasoning is a bit different. I mentioned that it was a, it was a fountain it, or rather your perfect fountain pen. I mentioned that it was a it was a fountain pen of your dreams. I never said I was dreaming of one fountain pen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I can. I can oh, dream of. There's a with lot of d-
1: customs of
2: my dreams. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> custom fans are beautiful. I really. Can't wait to see what the future holds for all of these wonderful artists that are creating such pieces of beauty.
0: Yeah, I I see a lot of experimentation and a lot of people that used to do this in their backyards or in their sheds. And now you can have access through their work or you can see their work through Instagram and um, various forums. And you can commission things from people that otherwise would never have access to. You can now because of the community and the fact that it exists in in our local, in our just our backyard. Brian Saputro. Who's a great friend of ours? He has been playing around with arushi lacquer, and um, mm-hmm. so far, I think he's only been lacquering very cheap acrylic models, like the Pilot Kakuno, which is a faceted, <laughs> a faceted what Pilot pen. Yeah, he's been he's been putting arushi <laughs> on that and a an arushi Kakuno and a arushi Kakuno. So it's um, oh. it's a budget <laughs> Nakaya Jacob book.
1: It looks like I've never <laughs> wanted I've never wanted a Kakuno so bad in my life. <laughs> <laughs> We got to start oh, somewhere. I'm sure right?
2: there's something to be said about the juxtaposition of ha- a painstakingly placed Urushi on a you know, ten dollar pen. You know,
1: <laughs> that is yeah, that's absurd. I just want to be I, the
2: first person in the world to own a, an Arushi Jinhao or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: don't oh, um, don't Jinhaos
0: uh, already have lacquer on them? Why would you put Urushi on it?
2: I don't know, something, something, juxtaposition, something, something. I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's cool. That's a trug. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, um, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure um, Brian will be making Ebonite pens soon, and then hopefully. We can get a natural decapod from him. Yeah, there
1: you go. Wow. Holy <laughs>
0: yeah. I still can't.
1: Yeah, Takuno? Oh, yeah. Wow.
0: Last question. Um, to send us off on this topic. Each of you, have you ever seen like a really bad DIY attempt?
1: Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe
0: not naming any names, but. Um, I feel like
1: you guys have more stories than I do too. So I'd love
2: to hear this. Oh yes. Duff, you like yeah, to start us Well, <laughs> they shall remain nameless. I have seen all sorts of problems and and I've actually received look okay Some people genuinely do it out of ignorance. They see something online, they think it's really cool. And I've actually been given several pens that people have, they're beautiful. And these were custom pens, actually. I won't reveal what they were because it might reveal who the person was. And I don't want to embarrass this person because he did his modifications in good faith. He tried to change these nibs to stub nibs or italics and did a really poor job of it, unfortunately. So I had to carefully reshape the tipping of those to turn it into an actual stub and to, to make them work again properly so they're not awfully scratchy so there's that on that there's just generals, you know, innocent people who try monkey see monkey do and they end up with a bit of a problem with their pen and then you've got the people who just take a band saw to the nib and go hey look at me I did a thing. Aren't I talented? And and the the, the fantastic, positive community that the fountain pen community is, they give them positive feedback. They're like, wow, that's amazing. You're so talented. And this person's head's just bulging. Just because you can doesn't mean you should.
0: Yeah. And
2: grinding is not always a good thing. I've seen people who... Just take micro mesh to their nibs, and they end up with this gigantic flat spot. And they're like, "Yes, I've ground it up a size." You know, my medium nib now is because I've just ground so much of the you guys to the tipping off that you know the sphere is now like a, a hemisphere now i'd like to qualify this that there are actually nibs that are designed to be like that but they're extremely rare and only two companies have ever made them mont blanc in the 60s and pelican in the 60s through 80s and i happen to have one okay. of those those pelican nibs it's really weird to write with everyone who's tried it has been like wow that's so weird and they, they can't stop writing with it but it's not something you use you'd use for a daily writer however i've seen people who have just ground the ever living daily lights out of the poor pen and now it has this flat spot now i mean look if it works for you sure but really when you do that to your pen you're not doing it any favors people who snip the tipping off i mean if it's a steel nib sure steel is very durable it'll last uh, untipped steel nibs but i've seen people who have uh claimed that their nib was re-tipped to a tipless stub or something like that which is yeah. not retipping. Um, and if it's a gold nib, especially a vintage gold nib, it's going to wear away like nobody's business. And, and, and I have seen somebody who has shown me a, a nib and go, what do you think of it? And I've said, you need to have that retipped because you'll damage it if you write with it. So look, DIY, I, I, I think it's great that people get into DIY. I would love to teach more people how to do nib work. It's not something that I want to hoard. You know, I've met people at, at pen shows that have gone, no, I'm not telling you how to do that because that's my secret. I don't want it to be a secret. This is a positive community that gives people joy. And I want to spread the love of not only fountain pens but but customising them. I'd like people to be able yeah. to tinker and confidently tinker, you know. I don't mind I, I love that people will try and, 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 and modify their pens, but I, I just pains me when I see them ham fistedly mush their nibs into oblivion or, or grind the tips off of an yeah. angle grinder or something like that. But if you're gonna do that, get a ginhao muck around we get a noodlers you know that's what i did even very recently i did a customization my first ever flex increasing modification on a pen it was on a noodlers nib that i'd had a long time and i ground it to a western double extra fine or a sailor extra fine is what it would be i removed tipping from the sides similar to the fa nibs on on pilot nibs and it works lovely but it was a risk and it was a cheap nib and i had spares so practice, 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 guys. Uh, those those of you li- listening at home, get some cheapies, muck around with them, break a few things, so that when you get to the really good stuff, you don't end up like somebody who's just gotten proper sandpaper and ground the tip off their Block and then <laughs> gone, yeah. "Hey, look at me! I ground it up a size." Woohoo!
1: Three B, yay! <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: Ralph,
0: yeah. any any horror stories <laughs> to match that?
1: Sorry, I'm I'm am still kind of like recovering. I'm <laughs> cringing, and my stomach feels <laughs> weird. Oh, God. Yeah.
2: Oh, you just be glad you didn't see these pens, man, cuz
1: oh, Yeah, Pants in the days. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know, I, I guess the the one modification that I've seen a good number of that is very cringe-worthy, gut-wrenching to me is when people take beautiful, beautiful vintage nibs and they improperly fit it on modern pens or other pens that in general just you know shouldn't accept it what people don't realize is that even if it's like if a nib like fits on a feed and then you stick it in the section and like it all stays together it doesn't mean that like it's the way it should be you know and oftentimes this is stuff that leads to excessive pressure on parts of the nib that lead to cracking and permanent damage so i've seen people like take like Wonderful, beautiful Waterman nibs, Gershaber nibs, and fitted on mm. on modern pens um, without doing anything to uh, the feed or to the section that it fits into, and sticking it in like hoping that it, it works. And the next thing in, they have is like a massive crack where there was pressure inside of it, where where it was fitted inside of the section. So yeah, that, those would be probably be my fountain pen horror stories, or at least the pinnacle of. Thankfully, I haven't seen as. As bad as tabs been exposed to. That's
0: horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nips are precious. Uh-huh. Yeah. Treat
2: them as such. I'm
1: still shaking. <laughs> so yeah, I guess most of this, besides educational, is a very long public service announcement. Practice, practice, practice. Especially if you yeah, mess with I'd, other people's pets.
2: <laughs> I'd also like to yeah, and I said this before. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Is it going to benefit the pen? If you're tinkering with something, you should get a pen that you should that is pretty much there to be tinkered with. So something cheap or something easily replaced. I mean, and quite frankly, what I did, I actually I know I started off with a Jinhao, but I think I actually moved to gold. I think I moved to gold nibs too early, and thankfully it didn't result in anything bad. But I and I see these twenty packs of Jinhao pens. Just go get them. Get yeah. yourself an Arkansas stone, get some micro mesh, watch videos. In fact, there's this guy, his name's Ludwig Tan, and he has this excellent resource on how to grind a nib. And I and I would not trust any other resource. I haven't seen very many other resources, but I think that this he's got this PDF that he's drawn up and it's got excellent diagrams, excellent explanations. And that's how I kind of taught myself. So if you search for him Ludwig Tan and a nib modification, look at his little infographic, try it out on 20 or so ginhaos. Smooth them over with the micro mesh or whatever emery paper, the nail buffer sticks, whatever you'd feel comfortable using. And then when you've got consistent 20 nibs that write beautifully as stubs or architect <laughs> points or extra fines or whatever you want, then you can move to something a little bit more valuable because you, you cannot have too much practice with this. Uh, and especially if, I, if you're going to do it vintage nibs, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. If anything, I, I would almost added qualifier there, 20 nibs in a row that you you really nail before mm-hmm. before you do it. What you recommended is precisely what I did. I, I, I just purchased like a horde of Jinhao pens. I would have a, a dartboard on the wall and I would just kind of like toss it at or drop it. Dropping it became a little bit more dangerous. Toes hurt. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably he ran through about like 50 or 60 nibs before i ever touched my first gold nib at least a smooth just even just only to smooth and tune I, I didn't touch a gold nib until after those 40 or 60
0: guys i've learned so much in this episode and i want to thank you both for sharing your experience and being really humble about it and i'm sure people will learn a lot about what to do and what not to do hopefully what not to do <laughs> um, with their own nibs and their own pens <laughs> From this episode? I've always
2: said on, on all these podcasts that I'm on, you, I'm more than happy for people to contact me on Facebook or if you're at a meet, come say hi. And, you know, I'll talk to you. I, I'm an open book. I want the, I want people to know how to customize their pens safely um, and make everything a positive experience for everyone because, you know, I don't want to see more any more broken nibs or if they are broken nibs, I want to see them fixed by people who know how to do it. So I will be at the pen show, at the Sydney pen show. I would like to be able to do, I, I'm fairly certain I'll be doing some kind of little course thingy, maybe uh, showing people how to do customizations, or at least repairs, because I, I, I'd, I'd really like this to be uh, a common thing. I think people should be allowed. It's like, you know, nowadays people find it difficult to change a tire on their car, you know, and I think that's that's one of those life skills, or sew on a button, and if you're a fountain pen addict, I think it's a, an important skill to learn how to fix a nip. Absolutely,
1: yeah, and I'm, I'm absolutely on the of the same feeling. Like, if you guys have any, any listeners out there, um, have any questions about uh, fountain pens in general, I, I'm not sure how much I can help. Definitely not as much as Taboo here but uh feel free to shoot me a, a message over on um on instagram at reaching ralph i'll do my absolute best it's a wonderful beautiful hobby incredible community and i i, I want the best for it and i'm happy to help anyone
0: that's wonderful
2: uh, i think you should definitely come to australia man i think i think we could uh, definitely <laughs> be a good dynamic duo at some point you know if you come to sydney pen show or something like that that'd be uh i think we, I we'd get a few a few fans, I reckon. <laughs>
1: I'll see what I can do for this year, but I can almost certainly tell you like if, <laughs> if there are fountain pens, I will be there. So you can you can count on this being in the future, being a thing. You're always be yes, welcome, look, man. Looking forward to it, dude.
0: Great. Um, so we'll have contact details for both Ralph and Tav in the show notes. Or linked in the show notes. And last thing in our episode, we like to ask our hosts for their recommendations. It doesn't have to be fountain pen or ink related, just a general recommendation. What's really got you excited recently, um, Tab?
2: <laughs> Well, actually, a really good friend of mine and his lovely wife, or they're both lovely, they're both really good friends of mine, have actually started up a calligraphy brand, an Australian based calligraphy brand called The Lettering Tribe. And they sell these gorgeous little, simple, minimalistic kits with two types of India ink so, a black and a red India ink, and a wooden, a beautiful wooden pen holder, and three nibs. And I think two of them are G nibs so, there's a Zebra G and a Nico G uh, nib. And I think one of them is just a plain, uh, writing nib so it's just an iridium point nib that comes with little instruction sheets on how to do modern calligraphy it's all very small time but yeah they do it for the love of writing that the, the two of them are have created this beautiful little product that's is great for people who just want to get into flex nibs without worrying too much about you know vintage pens and stuff like that and it does have a few little guide sheets and some some instructables sort of thing and it's 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 i think it's really great for people who want to get into that that art form great for great for gifts too yeah. It's small, convenient, minimalist. And uh, yeah, and I, I wish them all the best for this because I think it's a great little Australian-based thing. You really don't get that much sort of calligraphy supplies based in Australia. And I think what they're doing is, is a really good, great foray into the market.
0: Yeah. So that's the lettering tribe.
2: The lettering tribe. Yes. They're, they're available on Amazon and hopefully soon Amazon Australia.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, how about you, Ralph. That's why your recommendation. Uh,
2: I
1: am watching very closely after uh, what uh, Colorverse in Korea is coming out with. Uh, it's, it sounds <laughs> like you, you you came you uh, procured a bottle yourself, Diana, pretty
2: recently. Oh yeah, tapped it. Yeah, I got two. Of them. Oh
1: yeah, I, I see. I haven't seen them in person, but everything that I've seen online just like looks looks extra enticing. So <laughs> so we'll yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. But uh, that, I guess I guess that's definitely something to watch out for. Yeah, Color Colorverse yeah. inks.
2: Well, I'll be doing a couple of posts on that on. Um, Fountain oceania about it. I've I've tried one of the inks, and as a scientist, actually, their science-themed inks—they really do feel authentic. They don't feel like they're just some person who's gone onto Wikipedia and found a few cool things. They they really do feel like they've been made by a scientist who has worked in science and wants to appeal to the nerds of the nerds, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the science science nerds in amongst the pen nerds, you know. (laughs) You know, one of my friends—I showed it to one of my friends, and he said, "Yeah, that looks like a." Like a pathology machine reagent box, you know, like <laughs> anyone who's run a, a machine, like a, an analytical machine in a pathology lab, the reagents for these machines come in these boxes that look exactly like the boxes that colorversing's come in. And of course, the bottles. Oh, I, they are so weird, but I love them. And they come in a tiny little bottle. There's like a big yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah, and no. this is like a tiny <laughs> bottle that's like tiny. It's like the size of a cherry. It's the cutest little thing. I don't know why.
0: It just I does. I just want it's that
2: weird. one. I just want that one. Just give me cat. I know. Ones, Like, just... And, yeah, the cat one. Yeah, they've got a Schrodinger and a cat ink, and it's... I nearly bought it just because on their website, there's a really cute cat photo. Like, there's got a little drawing of the cat on the bottle, and also, on the website, just on the page of the Schrodinger and cat ink, it is a really cute cat picture, and I'm like, I have to buy it for the cat picture. It made me squeal so, a little. It was really cute. This
1: little cat picture, a little bottle. How can you not love it? I don't even care what's inside. Just give me the bottle. Oh, no, from,
0: from the photos, the colors okay. are great. Yeah, so Colorverse Inks from Korea. My recommendation, it, it's not Ink related, but at the end of January, the great science fiction fantasy writer, Ursula K. Le Guin, passed away. She was, I think, in mm. her 90s, or she was 88. Very late 80s, early 90s. I'm not quite sure, and I cried so much that day. It was, but it was, at the same time, yeah, she was she was amazing, and at the same time, I was so moved by all the tweets and all the obituaries and all the think pieces that were shared for about a week or so because she's had so much influence on different types of writers and artists, and as an essayist and someone who writes about the importance of um, fantasy and speculative fiction in society. But if you've never heard of Ursula K. Le Guin, and you really want to read some very, I guess you'd call them foundational feminist fantasy texts, go and pick up a copy of The Left Hand of Darkness or something, like, or The Dispossessed. I don't think you have many rivals to Ursula K. Le Guin in that genre or just in literature in general, in um, late 20th century literature. I think she's one of the greats and she'll be greatly missed. Mm. Yeah. So I I hate to end this on a downer. But there it is.
2: Well, look, she had a fantastic life, and she made the world a better place. So, you know, as as Dr. Zeus said, don't don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened.
0: Yeah, great sentiment to end this on. Ralph, it, right. it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. We loved having you and I hope you can have you on in the future at some point on a different episode. <laughs> Diana.
1: Thank you so much, Ralph. It was <laughs> truly, this was a wonderful time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And now one of these days we've got to steal one of you guys over at the BYOB Pen Club
2: podcast. I'd be more yeah. than happy to and I, I'm sure Di would as well.
0: Yeah, I, I don't actually know that much about pens. I just like, <laughs> I just like oh, that I like
2: Yeah, yeah, she, she does. She does. She's just being modest. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are great. This is awesome. This is yeah. this is really wonderful.
0: <laughs> wonderful. So thanks for coming, yeah. Ralph, and thanks, Tab. No,
2: thanks for having me. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Di.
0: Thank you both. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends you want to share your thoughts, your suggestions, your feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us at the Nibsection Facebook page or at the Nibsection on Twitter and Instagram. The Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pen's Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye, Tavit Sinanian, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Special thanks to Ralph Reyes for taking the time to speak to us. Editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H Smith, with artwork by Melissa Graf. Thanks for listening.